The following presentation is part of the six-week Introduction to Mindfulness Meditation class offered at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So welcome back, everyone. In just a minute or two, we'll do our first sit. Then we'll check in. And then I'll introduce the loving-kindness practice. Um, and we'll take at least 20 minutes, maybe even a little bit longer, and do a second meditation tonight, a loving-kindness meditation. But, but before we do the, the first set, the mindfulness set, you know, we've been talking about the intention in terms of what we're cultivating or what we're developing. Just to keep things sip, simple, we've been talking about it in terms of the cultivation of this quality of alertness or brightness or interest. And it's like any kind of muscle, in this case a mental muscle, the more you practice being interested, the more the mind is inclined naturally to be interested, to be alert, to be bright. And then the other quality we're cultivating or developing, like a muscle, getting it stronger, is the capacity or the quality of trust or acceptance or letting things be or relaxing. Now I'm going to give us a slightly more sophisticated, so those are two qualities that we wanted to develop and keep in balance. Another way to remember what the practice is about that you can bring to mind in the middle of a sit when you've gotten distracted and you're going, okay, now what am I doing? It's the simple acronym RAIN, R-A-I-N, and it really captures the whole range of mental qualities that we're developing with awareness practice or mindfulness meditation practice. So you could probably even guess what each of these letters stand for. So the R stands for recognize. So it's that very simple first step to be mindful. The mind, this part of the mind we call attention, it has to recognize what's predominant or what's happening. So that might be the anchor that you're working with, that you're training with, like some of you are observing the breath coming in and the breath going out, the actual sensations of breathing. So then when you're remembering, okay, now what am I doing? Oh yeah, rain. Okay, R. What's R? Oh yeah, recognize. Okay, recognize. Oh, it's like this. Breathing in is like this. The actual Physical experience of breathing in feels like this. Breathing out is like this. And the A is accepting. Allowing it to be just that. Not to need the experience of breathing in to be more than what it is, more special. Not in a hurry for it to become other than what it is, something different, something new and exciting. So to recognize and to accept. And then I is interest. And you can even ask some questions along the way. Like for the first, you know, to begin the process again, what's happening? Even that question, what is the mind knowing? Oh yeah, breathing in. 
like this, or restlessness is like this. So that's the moment of recognition. Well, can the heart just leave things alone? Let whatever is being known be that way. Well, that's acceptance. Can the mind be actually interested? So not that we actually like lean forward into the experience, but it's more of a receiving, like a more full receiving or letting whatever is happening in the moment, whether it's an in-breath or knowing an emotion or knowing that the mind is planning, but being, in a sense, exposed, like really letting that reality of thinking, of feeling an emotion or feeling sensation, really letting it touch the heart, in a sense, being undefended. Oh, oh, this is how it is. And then end for non-attachment. Now you can't do non I mean, not really, you can't do it directly. Non-attachment, non-clinging, the N in RAIN, is more of a wholesome fruit of doing the first three. When you're recognizing what's present, when you're accepting and staying interested, and you'll get the sense when you work with this that the A and the I, the acceptance and the interest, is how you sustain mindfulness. R, recognizing it's like this, is the first moment of mindfulness. And then to sustain that, you need to keep accepting it, allowing it to be, and you need to sustain an interest. Keep turning toward because whatever it is that the mind is knowing in the present moment, it's going to be different in the next moment and then the next. So it has to be an active, connecting, knowing, understanding, oh, 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 moment by moment by moment. And when you get some continuity, you begin to have the insight that whatever the mind is knowing, whether it's the breath, or you're knowing the planning mind, or the worrying mind, or you're knowing some anxiety in the heart, or some pain in the knee, but whatever it is, whatever the mind is knowing with some continuity, you'll begin to discern that it's impersonal. It's like, that's not me. My mind might be planning, but in a way, words don't quite capture it, you look and you see that that planning is being known. So you also recognize, that's not me planning, planning's happening. Worrying is happening. Aching in the knee is happening. Anxiety in the heart is happening. It's something being known. So the knowing is not the same as the anxiety. Or if you're aversive or impatient, the knowing of the impatience is different than the impatience that's being known. So that's what we mean by it's impersonal, or the non-attachment, the non-clinging, the non-identification, the N. It's somehow getting that whatever the mind is knowing, which is, of course, everything, that's all the mind ultimately does, is it knows, all of that, they're impersonal conditions, impersonal phenomena, mental, physical phenomena that come and go lawfully according to causes and conditions. Even when I personalize the pain in my knee or personalize the anxiety in my heart or personalize the planning that's going on in in the thinking mind, even that tendency to personalize my experiences, that also is impersonal. 
So just because some aspect of our experience seems or appears to be personal, that's an impersonal habit of the mind to project or imagine that it's personal. Like even hearing me talk, being at common ground, all of this feels personal. Like I'm here, I'm listening to Mark, I'm understanding what he's saying. But if we just observe our experience, sitting and hearing and comprehending what's being said, you'll see that whatever this is, it's just happening on its own. And even when the mind goes, no, no, it's not happening on its own, I'm doing this. Even that, let's call it a reaction, that also just arose on its own, according to causes and conditions lawfully. So there is something happening here, but it's nature, that's what's happening. Normally, what the Buddha might call an ordinary human being, somebody who's not yet fully awake, we think that nature happens out there. There's me, and then everything out there is just nature happening lawfully through cause and effect. We don't realize that's also what this is. And that understanding, we're not putting down our experience, we're just understanding it, and we see that understanding it in this way releases the heart from stress. It's like we have a different relationship to sensation, to thought, to emotion, to all aspects of our lives. People always get afraid, well, I won't do anything if I'm not attached. You know, I'll just sit there. It's not true. You'll be more who you are when you drop attachment. Your personality will be more of what it already is when you liberate yourself from attachment and identification. We don't become less or flat, or blank, or you know, empty of personal characteristics as we wake up, we become more free. The personality becomes more free, less bound by habits of fear or greed. So use that acronym anytime during the sit tonight just to clarify what you're doing. Recognize, accept, can this mind be more interested, more awake, more alert? Can the mind realize a way of non-attachment, relating with non-attachment, non-grasping with whatever the mind is knowing? Okay, any questions about that? So do whatever you need to be comfortable in your posture. We'll sit for about 30 minutes. As you probably might have guessed, there are apps for meditation timers and they begin and end your sit with a bell and you don't have to watch your clock. So you can download one if you have a smartphone. But here you can just receive the sound of the bell.
And just continue to recognize hearing. And the capacity of the mind to accept hearing, to allow the sounds that are coming and going to come and go. So in a sense, the heart, the mind is resting in the experience of hearing. Remembering this capacity, this potential to be interested in the sounds. Sounds are just sounds. Coming and going according the many causes and conditions, not personal. And then in the same way, listening, receiving the sensations of the body sitting now. So initially recognizing Sitting is like this. The sensations now are like this. Allowing them to be with real interest, continuity of awareness of the body sitting. And if you can, noticing the impersonal nature of these sensations that come and go, pleasant sensations and unpleasant and neutral sensations of the body, all these sensations unfolding lawfully according to many causes and conditions. And the mind simply knows it's like this now. Sitting is like this. Can this be okay? And if you're working with the breath as your anchor, your training ground, then allow the attention to naturally begin to recognize the movement of the breath in the body whether you feel the breath down in the belly or at the nostrils or wherever. Some of you might use a particular meditation word or meditation phrase. It can be as simple as breathing in is like this. Breathing out is like this. The word knowing with the in-breath and releasing with each out-breath, or just in silence.
allowing the breath to find its own natural rhythm as you can tease out unnecessary effort or unnecessary tension in the body and mind while maintaining a real sense of interest in what's arising, the breath or any distraction, but not reacting or getting attached, it's just something being known. So we're going to continue in silence now for a while.
the willing to begin again and again. And it's okay to take a moment or two and reflect on the acronym RAIN so that as you begin again, if you've been distracted, just remember how straightforward it is to simply recognize the way it is and use your anchor as a training ground Recognizing, for example, the next in-breath or out-breath, accepting, being interested, and realizing, at least in moments, this sense of non-attachment, that things are coming and going naturally and personally.
Let's take the last minute or two. Allow the eyes to open if they've been closed. As much as possible, let the body be relaxed. Recognizing as we sit here, recognize that the mind is naturally sensitive to the present moment. Nobody has to make any particular effort to be sensitive. Clearly recognizing this experience of the body, sitting, breathing, experience of the mind, thinking, feeling the emotions, This is how it is, this mind-body experience now. Can this be okay? Take some time if you need to stretch out your body, release any physical tension, including standing for a few seconds if you want. It's always good to stay attuned to how it is now in the body and mind from the sit. Just so you know, that was 30 minutes, so in case you think you can't sit for 30 minutes, you just did. Of course, it may seem to be easier with the group than it is at home alone, but just because it's more challenging doesn't mean you don't learn. So we have to make sure that we're not equating the pleasantness of the sit with its value. Because there could be a really unpleasant set, but we learn, the mind learns a lot about the mind. So remember, that's the whole point. We think we're, we signed up for the meditation class in order to find ways to feel better. And it's nice when we feel better, so that it's not like that's a bad motivation. But the more you do the practice, you realize it's not about feeling better, in a direct sense. It's about understanding the mind because there's a lot of freedom that comes from understanding the mind. In the same way, there's a lot of suffering that happens because we don't understand what's going on in the heart and mind. So we'll take some time now. I mentioned that I'm going to introduce the loving-kindness meditation, but we can take at least 10 minutes. It'd be nice to hear, not just from your experience sitting tonight, but Generally, what you've been learning, what's felt like 
a challenge, what's gotten in the way or seemed to have gotten in the way of your practice, any kind of success or insight, things you've learned about the mind in your practice that you'd like to share with the group, any questions about the instructions, also including walking meditation. Hopefully some of you have experimented with that. You can share a little bit about what you've learned or what happened. So what comes to mind? What would you like to share? Yeah, say your name. Yeah. And this is probably familiar to other people in the group because it's really common either because the body and mind is tired or exhausted. And so as we settle down into the way it is, we're going to find that the body and mind is exhausted, if it's exhausted. So that's one thing. <clears throat> and then still, you still can learn quite a bit if you stick with it, but it's not necessarily pleasant although sometimes it is. But you, don't, you want to... Um, you want to catch that dream-like, trance-like state that the mind tends to slide or slip into. And because there's no learning, even if it's relatively pleasant and peaceful, there's no real learning in that state. So it's better to open the eyes. Don't continue practicing with the eyes closed. And by the way it's totally okay to practice with your eyes open. Not that, of course, that you'd be looking around, but just a soft, relaxed gaze toward the floor in front. Not really looking at anything, but, of course, receiving the visual experience is a perfectly fine meditative posture. You don't need to close your eyes. And especially if you're getting a lot of distraction from visual imaginings, or if you're sleepy, it's better to practice with your eyes open than with your eyes closed. So do that. And ask your mind to do a little bit more, which is exactly the opposite of what you think you should do when you're feeling a little tired or a lot tired. It's like, oh, I can't ask myself to do anything. But there's a basic principle that energy comes from effort. Normally we think just the opposite, that I need energy in order to make effort. But what you find, and you should just experiment with this, it's really true. If you apply yourself, if you make an effort, the mind becomes more and more energized. So get the sleep you need so that that's not the issue. And then I mentioned this earlier, but I'll just mention it briefly again. Another reason people can get into that naughty and those trance-like, dream-like states is they've gotten pretty good at tranquilizing the mind but they're not as good at the alertness, the interest part, the mind connecting or that first part of brain recognizing, oh, this is what's happening. So you can even ask yourself to consciously recognize what the mind is knowing. So you're mentally noting or labeling. And that, that's energizing because you're asking the mind to work. It has to actually not only recognize, but then name what it's recognizing. Oh, seeing, seeing, or hearing, hearing, thinking, thinking. So you're mentally noting, and that can be energizing for the mind. There's a real, the more you get into the practice, there's a real delicate balance between the alertness and the relaxation. It's 
side of the practice. And it's so much of the practice is keeping that beautiful balance where there's a lot of energy, but it's really settled energy. And if you get a lot of energy and it's not settled, we start to feel restless and the mind's compulsively thinking and imagining because it has all this energy and doesn't know what to do with it. So it plans things or reviews things. You go through movies you've seen because it doesn't know what to do with the energy. It's got this energy to do, but it doesn't seem to the mind like there's enough to do, so it creates things to do. Or, that's so not enough tranquility, or you get too much tranquility, which is that sense of it's all okay, it's okay to put it all down, and there's no interest, putting things down is going to lead right to sleep or to t some trance-like, dream-like state. Thanks for bringing that up. What else have you been learning? What else have you been noticing or questions that have come up for you? Please don't be shy. It's really useful to share with the group. Yeah. Well, it just depends on the motivation behind the planning. Some planning's coming from fear or greed, and if we're being mindful, we'll notice how heavy and contracted that kind of planning is. And some kind of planning is coming from more wholesome motivations, like just trying to take care of my life. That's not a toxic or neurotic motivation. You know, I'm, I've got to do this tomorrow. I wonder what would be the best way to do it. So this is what nature knows how to do things. Like when it rains on the top of the mountain, the nature of water is to find its way down to, into the earth or eventually to the ocean. And it's the nature of the personality to take care of the business of life. Now, what we've done is we've created this habit of placing a center in the activity of thinking or in the activity of the personality. So part of the personality then is this neurotic strain of, this is happening to me, I'm doing this. This is happening to me, I'm doing this. And that's basically extra and stressful. So being cultivating mindfulness in a more continuous way what it reveals, what that simple, clear, relaxed attention reveals is how so much of the cognizing process is unnecessary. <clears throat> it doesn't mean thinking's bad or unnecessary. It just means some of it and some of the conclusions that arise from the thinking process doesn't align with the way it actually is. So the question back is, see what happens. See if Choices get made, planning gets done, analyzing happens without you personally being weighed down by having to do it and wanting to do it right and being afraid of doing it wrong. See that that part is extra and unnecessary and it doesn't actually help the planning become better or more clear. Wanting it or being afraid of doing it wrong doesn't help the planning or the thinking that needs to happen. It's just an unnecessary weight. And that's what we have to see. We have to catch it literally thousands of times, little and big ways, that attachment is always a dead weight. Clinging, grasping, struggling with the way it is is always an unnecessary weight. It doesn't make what we call the personality or me more skillful. It just weighs down, creates the appearance of weight. 
or suffering. And so that can be abandoned if the mind sees it clearly many, many, many times. It just begins, like a lot of addictive behaviors, this is the king of all addictive behaviors, is taking things personally. So any addictive behavior, <clears throat> if it's really unskillful, a cause for suffering, that means it hurts. So if the mind sees cause and effect, sees that this way of being, this way of relating, always comes with, as one teacher calls it, the squeeze on the heart, some contracted experience. The more we see the correlation, the more the heart lets go. It's not even right to say that I finally let go of attachment or I've let go of clinging. Letting go happens when the mind understands what it is and what it isn't. So don't make a big deal of the self, non-self stuff. Instead, get interested in the continuity of mindfulness and notice how the sense of self changes from a permanent me sitting back there in the control tower trying to do it all right, you know, to me as a natural process. Like, oh yeah, there is a personality. It has a personality. You know, it has particular conditioning, particular strengths, particular weaknesses. But whatever that is, whatever we mean by the personality, it's a conditioned, impersonal process. Now, part of that conditioned, impersonal process is to reflexively think, that's me, that's me. But that also is nature. It's, it's nature to assume that it's apart from everything else happening when it's not actually apart from anything. It's part of these many different interdependent forces. Yeah. How is that different? The experience? It, it would be the same. Whether you're naming experience, mentally noting it, or just noticing how things are unfolding, it's the same practice. Mental labeling or noting is just a technique that can, for some people at some times, support the continuity of awareness. So just see it as a skillful means to pick up when it helps and to put down when it's not helping the continuity of awareness, the clarity and the acceptance, you know, or the rain, you know, the recognizing, the acceptance, the interest, and the non-attachment. And you can use this in daily life too, like you notice the mind's in a funk, to just silently in the mind go, oh, being in a funk is like this. Or can this be okay? So just to name, oh, this is just an emotion being known. It feels like this. It colors perception like this. Okay, that's how it is now. This isn't me. If it were me, I'd stop it, <laughs> you know, or I'd change it. But it isn't. It's, it's like a weather system that blew in naturally due to causes and conditions. It will be around for a while and then it goes away. Even today, how many moods, how many mind states, how many emotions blew in like a weather system and then blew out and something else blew in. Now what's blown in right now? What's well, like this? Are you doing that? No. It's just like this now for us. Each of us, each in our own way. Maybe time for one more or two more? Yeah. Well, you might want to experiment a little bit. Counting's not necessarily bad. Some people do that as one of those skillful means to pick up when it's useful, supports the continuity of a relaxed and clear attention, and to put down 
when it's no longer supporting the continuity of that relaxed and clear attention. So noting, using phrases, so you, you want sort of uh, a few different skillful means at hand to support. Sometimes the mind is really steady and balanced, and then you don't want to use supports then. You want things to be as quiet and simple as they can be. But when you need more supports, a crutch, let's call it, then pick up the crutch and use it to help. But, uh, you know, so much of the time, what the mind is knowing, we tend to, out of habit, want to control it. We're paying attention to our friend, and we're neurotically trying to control her or him. You know, we're looking at ourselves, and we're neurotically controlling it. So it's just a big habit in the mind. So why wouldn't it play out in paying attention to the breath? Your job is to notice the controlling and not to be afraid of it and not to judge it, but to, to make the correlation between when the mind is paying attention in this way, things are tight in this way. And eventually, when you get enough steadiness, you'll see, the mind will naturally see what's extra, the controlling the wanting it to be, the wanting it to be smooth when it's erratic, the wanting it to be longer when it's short or shorter when it's long, or just the wanting to feel in control. So a couple of things you can do is feel the whole body so that you're not putting your attention right on the breath, but you're still attending to the breath, but you're feeling it in the context of the whole body sensation. right? And you can even have a sense of the whole body breathing in, whole body breathing out. And really remind yourself, and you, you know, use a phrase, you don't have to do it over and over again, but like once in a while, honey, the body knows how to breathe. It's okay. However the body wants to breathe is okay. If it wants to be erratic, fine. If it wants to be smooth, fine. Can it be okay? And so if it is feeling controlled or stiff, then notice it's unpleasant. Well, can that unpleasantness of that controlled feeling that be okay? In other words, is it okay, is it safe to relax with the tightness of the breathing process? Yeah, it's not. I mean, we go to the dentist, it's a lot worse. We can be with a breath that feels a little tight and controlled, right? We can be patient with it. We, but we have to accept the unpleasantness of it. Can they, so you could even say to yourself, as an open-ended question, you don't have to answer it. Can it be okay that this is unpleasant? Same thing if you're noticing a lot of impatience or a lot of sleepiness. Can this be okay that the mind is dull? Sometimes dullness, the mind is dull, and it's like this. Well, can that be okay? Do I need to get tight because the mind is dull, because the breath is tight, because the heart is restless? Or can that be okay enough? Obviously, it's not our preference. We'd like to feel perfectly fine. But when we don't feel perfectly fine, how should we relate to that? What is the skillful way to relate when things aren't perfect? Which, of course, is most of the time. Right? So it's a really good lesson to look at that controlled feeling of the breath. So let's leave it here. So we have time to talk about a loving-kindness practice, then we'll stretch our legs and we'll take the last 20 minutes and we'll do some loving-kindness practice. So the way to think about the formal loving-kindness practice that we're going to practice is it's a training in the basic 
attitude, the basic attitude of goodwill or friendliness or kindness, loving kindness. So ideally, we would all, all of the time, like to be sort of grounded in that basic friendliness of the heart, the basic goodness of the heart. So like a lot of things, if you want to shift the general tone or flavor or your primary attitude or mood, you have to practice it. So the form, don't confuse the formal meditation that I'm going to teach you and that's in the handout for week five. If you haven't got the handouts, you can get them at the website. Week five handout is on loving kindness practice. Don't confuse the formal training with the direction we're going, which is to abide throughout the day, which would also include our formal sitting time, with a basic attitude of goodwill, of friendliness. And when that basic attitude of goodwill meets suffering, our own suffering or somebody else's suffering, then it looks like compassion. And when that basic goodwill runs into something beautiful, somebody experiencing some success, or we ourselves experiencing something good, or seeing a beautiful sunset, then that basic goodness expresses itself as appreciative joy, or gratitude, or just that appreciation, right? When things are ambiguous, goodwill expresses itself as equanimity. I don't know what the heck's going on, but it's okay, right? Equanimity. So in Buddhism we say there are these four emotions. They're called immeasurable emotions or boundless emotions, the four divine abodes. The only four emotions we actually need to be a functional, happy human being. Basic friendliness or loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. You can just see, as an experiment of truth, if you need any other emotions. Now, the other emotions are going to come, right? Because they're impersonal, but deeply conditioned into the mind, right? So when certain things happen, then my defensiveness, my jealousy, my anger, my rage, my greediness, my lust gets triggered. So we have lots of those not-so-skillful emotions. But you'll find that if you train in these boundless, immeasurable emotions of four divine abodes, they're called, of loving-kindness and compassion and appreciative joy and equanimity, the more you train in them, the more they'll naturally arise and replace the less skillful emotions that, because of habit, are going to be there. And it's like the Buddha says, it's like uh, you got an old rotten wooden peg, and if you take a nice solid wooden peg and you pound it in, the other peg leaves and is replaced by the new one. In the same way, you can bring to mind loving kindness, <coughs> and in, by doing that, you remove aversion or irritation or fear from the mind. It's really possible. But you can't get rid of aversion by hating it or being afraid of having aversion in your mind. I don't want to be that aversive, impatient person. Well, you're practicing it right now by not liking the aversion in your mind. But if instead you found a way, like, and there are many ways, it's a very creative process, like as simple as, oh, 
being aversive, being impatient hurts. I care about this. I care about this yucky feeling in my mind right now. Well, already you're displacing the aversion with caring about it. Or you could redirect your attention to something you do have a basic feeling of goodwill about. Oh yeah, my cat Sumi is probably sitting on her chair at home, snuggled in her blanket that we leave there. I care about her. Well, when I bring her to mind, my cat, it's not easy for me to be irritated at all of you. You know? <laughs> so this basic experience of substitution, and because aversion, which includes fear and includes boredom, includes impatience, all the different flavors of aversion, they're so predominant in our personalities. There's so many ways we fall back into that default of being bored, of being irritated, of being impatient, of being angry, of feeling neglected. So it's really useful to know how to change the channel. So one way to do it is to do the formal loving-kindness practice that I'll go through very uh, briefly here, and we'll, we'll do it for about 20 minutes. So let's stand so that you'll be comfortable. It's nice not to be overwhelmed with stiffness or unpleasant sensations. So just stretch, tune into your body, feel what you feel. I'll just keep sharing a few instructions. So the basic... Uh, technique involves three things. And this is true whether you do the compassion flavor or the appreciative joy flavor. But tonight we're going to do the basic loving-kindness flavor of the formal metta. It's called loving-kindness practice. Metta is just the word for loving-kindness or friendliness in the Pali language. So three things. One is you're going to be feeling your heart center just energetically, however it feels. So if it feels like twisted steel, then just notice that. If it feels like a radiant orb of pure love, then just notice that, or anything in between. But just have a general sense of how the heart's doing. And don't get complicated about it. Just sort of notice how the heart is. And when we talk about heart, it's not really different than mine. We're really talking about that place where we experience release, where we experience suffering. Like, when you know you're suffering, how do you know you're suffering? Well, the heart hurts. The heart's tight. When you're feeling happy and alive, how do you know that you're happy and alive? Well, there's a quality in your heart. So I'm not talking about the pump that pumps blood, although that general location usually helps people tune in to what we mean by the heart or the mind. The Pali word is chitta. So the first thing, we're just going to keep attuning, feeling the heart. That's one. The second thing, initially, the practice relies on you bringing somebody to mind. And generally speaking, you always start with an easy person. Now a lot of you are going to think, oh, my partner is the easy person. But often, almost always, your partner is not the easy person. Even when you really, really love your partner, but it's a complicated relationship for almost everyone. So a niece, a nephew, a pet, a mentor who is really there for you or is really there for you in your life, somebody inspiring, 
Maybe even somebody you don't know personally, but you just have a good feeling about the person, like you've never met the Dalai Lama, but you really like him, and you love him, and you think he's great, you can use the Dalai Lama, or anybody, that you have an easy feeling of love for. So you bring that person to mind. If you're visual, then you visualize them. Visualize them happy, visualize them sort of getting through life in a good way, negotiating their life, happy memories of the person, smiling or something like that. That's the second thing. That takes work. Both keeping the heart in mind takes work, keeping the person, sometimes you can even work with groups, but initially keep it simple and easy. An easy person or an easy being, if you don't want to use a human being, keeping them in mind. And then the third thing is we repeat some phrases over and over again in the mind in a relaxed way. Now, tonight you might just want to use the traditional phrases that I'll guide you through. I'll say it out loud. You repeat it silently in your mind. Do your best to mean what you say because it isn't the words, it's connecting to the meaning of the words. So say it and then take a few seconds and just mean what you say and then do the second phrase. So the four phrases, traditional phrases, when you practice at home, Come up with your own phrases if you want. Don't make it complicated. Or just stick with the traditional phrases. So the traditional phrases, something like, <clears throat> if you're bringing to mind somebody else, because you can do it for yourself too. You just change the pronouns. So assuming you're doing it for another person, an easy person, may you be safe and protected in all ways. You just May your heart be happy and peaceful. So these, just, these are nice wishes to have for somebody. Okay? Third phrase is something about health. So, may your body be healthy and strong. Something like that. And then the fourth phrase has to do with just taking care of life. So, may you take care of your life with ease and joy. So, you're just imagining that all their responsibilities and all the things that comes with being a living being, they're negotiating with ease and joy taking care of with ease and joy. And you go back to the first one. Okay, so let's sit down comfortably and we'll do this for about 15 minutes together. And I'll give a few instructions while we're doing it, but mostly I'll be quiet so you can just settle in to the practice. Do what you can to sit comfortably so you won't be distracted by unpleasant sensations in the body. But just as best you can and then accept how the body is. Take a breath, maybe a couple longer, deeper breaths to help settle. And just feel the heart center now, however it might be. This great, tender, sensitive heart. And we bring to mind somebody, some living being that's easy for us to love, easy for us to care about, and just see who comes to mind. If you can, visualize them or have some felt sense of this person you're bringing to mind. Feeling the heart, 
And I'll begin to repeat the phrases. I'll do it a few rounds and then I'll, we'll just continue on our own in silence. May you be safe and protected in all ways. May your heart be happy and peaceful. And may you be healthy and strong. May you take care of your life with ease and joy. May you be safe and protected in all ways. May your heart be happy and peaceful. And may your body be healthy and strong. May you take care of your life with ease and joy. May you be safe and protected in all ways. And may your heart be happy and peaceful. May you be healthy, free from pain, And may you take care of your life with ease and joy. Just continue on your own now in silence. And if you want, just bring the person's name to mind or use the person's name from time to time to help have a better felt sense of the person or the being you're working with. Connect with the meaning of the words. Keep coming back to the phrases, feeling the heart. Let each phrase be a simple 
act of generosity, sending out a good wish, freely given. And you can continue with the same person, but feel free to bring another dear one to mind. Take your time to remember the person, having a felt sense, feel your heart. And then just begin the phrases for this next person when you're ready. And with all three of these parts, feeling the heart, repeating the phrases, 
And keeping the person or the being in mind as best you can. And we can also practice with ourselves. So we bring our own life to mind, just the sense of right here being a living being, caring about our life. I care about this life. May I be safe and protected in all ways. And may this heart be happy and peaceful. May this body here be healthy and strong. And may I take care of my life with ease and joy. Let's continue on our own. If you're talking right to the heart itself, I care about this heart. May it be safe. May it be happy and peaceful, healthy. May it live with ease. I do care about this heart. Continue for a couple more minutes.
having a sense now of all the people in this room. Of course, many, most of the people we don't really know. But we do know that everybody here wishes to be safe and happy in the same way that we do. May all the beings, all the people here in this room now, may you be safe from harm. May wisdom and love protect you always. May everybody here in the room be happy and peaceful. May all of our bodies be healthy and strong. And may we take care of our lives with ease and joy. And just as I wish to be happy, may all beings near and far, all my loved ones, friends and colleagues, all the people I know but don't know well, all the difficult people in my lives, all beings without exception, near, far, creatures and animals and human animals, may all beings be safe from harm, be protected, be happy and peaceful, healthy, free from pain. May all beings be free from suffering and free from the causes of suffering. May all beings live with ease. Take a couple seconds, simply feel how the heart is now. As if the heart were radiating this basic goodness out in all directions. So this is something you can do formally like we just did. But you can, just as you're driving home, walking into your homes, just internally as you see other living beings, you can recognize this person wants to be happy like I want to be happy. So why not offer that wish? For whatever it is, it doesn't mean our wish is going to change their life, but it's a good thing. May you be happy. Just that simple act of generosity, wishing somebody well, it itself is a beautiful thing, regardless of what it changes, you know, whether it like somehow magically makes their life better or not, doesn't matter. The fact that in our heart we wish well is itself a good thing. And you can feel that directly, and it will directly change your attitude, your way of being in that moment. So play with this, and then the neat thing is, notice how it shifts the mindfulness. Because one of the things that creeps in in mindfulness practice is a sense of sterility or flatness or indifference when we're being mindful of what's going. So we want the heart to be 
like real mindfulness, the heart is engaging, it's connecting, it's undefended. So by bringing the quality of love into your mindfulness practice, you'll bring it into balance. You can't really be mindful, present, without the heart quality being there. So that's why it's good to do this formally. So how do you do this? Well, you know, you could do something like the first five or ten minutes, do the formal loving-kindness practice, and then shift to mindfulness practice for the last, whatever you have, 20 minutes. Or you could do a little bit at the end. Or you might just do it for a few days and not do the mindfulness so you get a sense of what the practice is like. Or do a morning sit, mindfulness, and an evening sit before you go to bed of loving-kindness. So there's no right or wrong, wrong way to integrate it in. But especially this week, so you get a sense of it, try to do a little bit at least every day, formally or informally, so you're playing with it. And you're getting a sense of how it works and getting a sense of the effect. And there's more instructions there, including how to weave in forgiveness into the loving-kindness practices. But like I said at the beginning, there is room for creativity here. So feel free to experiment a little bit. And we'll talk more about it next week. Any questions before we end? And feel free to come up afterward. It's just now 9 o'clock, so we should probably end. So if you have a moment, these folding chairs need to go downstairs. Next week is our last week. Congratulations, you're almost there. We committed to six weeks. So have a good week, everyone. I'll see you next Tuesday. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.